Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets 2 Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and Kevin L. Jackson with you here on Veteran Voices. Kevin, how are we doing? Hey, Matt, I don't know. Is it is it spring yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, don't rush it. Don't rush 15. it. It's supposed to be 15 <laughs> degrees here in the D.C. area this week. Man, that's, that's too cold. <laughs> well, I can't say it's 15 <laughs> degrees here in Metro Atlanta, but it has certainly been in the 20s and 30s. I don't know about you, but I, I've been embracing this uh, brisk weather. We've had a, a lot of hotter, uh, more humid weather. So, but but yeah. 15, you're right. I can't get behind 15. Um, <laughs> but you know what's going to warm you up, Kevin? See see what I'm doing here. You know what's going to warm you up? Yeah. Outstanding conversations, fiery conversations with uh, the movers and shakers across the industry, just like today's conversation. We've got a big oh, interview coming up with a brown-breaking yeah. dynamo, right? Oh, you, I tell you, uh, this is something I've been just waiting for. I know we've been working to try to get uh, her on the show uh, since last year we've been working, but her schedule is so tight, and the audience will find out why during this interview. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. We've, we've been uh, twisting her agent's arm for quite some time, but hey, she's here now, <laughs> here on Veteran Voices. Folks, let me tease this a little bit. Amongst other things that Kevin's mentioning that our guest is up to, our guest was the first black female combat pilot here in the U.S. That is incredible. Just wait to hear a story about that. So, Kevin, again, yeah. only the movers <clears throat> and shakers here on Veteran Voices, right? Yeah, one thing I wanted to highlight, uh, the first black female combat pilot okay period you know wow. and uh i tell you she uh she is gutsy and you'll learn why as we talk to her about her love it her uh career love it looking forward to it uh hey really quick though before we get to introduce our guests and get to the discussion i want to share a quick programming note so this program is part of the supply chain now family of programming and today's show is conducted in a partnership with our friends at vets to industry you can learn more about this very powerful nonprofit that's serving so many folks at vets to the numeral two industry.org okay so kevin i'm going to introduce our guest today you buckled up and ready to go oh yes let's go man all right, two thumbs up. Here we go. Uh, so our guest is a best-selling author and in-demand keynote speaker. She's an incredibly successful coach and entrepreneur. As Kevin said, she's a gutsy Marine that served two tours of duty in Iraq. So join me in welcoming Vernice Fly Girl Armor. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> yeah, Vernice. You know, uh, you know this... Three, two, three, count. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to level it up, baby. You know oh, what I'm saying? Man. Let's do it. 
All right, so now we're just gonna we're gonna get sued by the the big attorneys across the music industry. But hey, no, that's not you. That's not me. And it was less than ten seconds, so there's no infringement. She has a legal degree too. No, and isn't this for educational purposes? That's right. Educational purposes. And you had no idea I was gonna do that, so I did. They can come after me. But I'm learning, Vernice, as we spent our pre-show conversation, expect the unexpected with uh, Fly Girl here. So, Vernice, I am tickled That's that right. you're here. We had to work through uh, your your schedule, which was a beast. But that really belies the fact of all the different projects and all the cool things you're doing out in the industry, right? You know what? Life is crazy and hectic out here. And honestly, the reason my schedule was so tough to get on is because I have prioritized family time and connection time and not overloading my freaking calendar like I used to pre-COVID. So yeah. I think well that's said. real right there. You know, someone told me once uh, that you determine what's important to you by uh, reviewing your calendar and your checkbook. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it's really true. It is really true. So I love, I love how you prioritize things and, and prioritize the important things there. Yeah. You know, when, when I look at it and I had no idea we were going to go this direction, especially so quickly, but when I look, think about my philosophy in life, there have been literally billions of souls on the planet, right? Mm. Yeah. All of us who are here right now, 150 years from now, we will not be here unless some cryogenics right. thing is invented that all of us <laughs> regular normal people can take advantage of. But right. none of us will be here. And enjoy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so while we are here, because really in the in the in the scheme of things, like the universe, like our lifetime's a blink of an eye, right? Right. Yes. Well, what the hell are we doing here? What are you doing? What's your purpose on the planet? Why are mm. you here? And I guarantee it's not just to go to work, work eight, nine, 10, 12 hours, right? Right. Rush your kids off to bed after doing homework, veg out on a couple hours of TV, wake up in the morning to do it again, living for the weekend and those two weeks of vacation every year. Like, and then <laughs> that the research shows that the average person only lives two years beyond retirement. Really? Man, two years. Right. All right. So I'm trying to get people to live while they're living. Right. Mm -hmm. And make good move, you know, to get there, to create the life you really want. And yeah, I talk to business folks and executive women and veterans. And, you know, I have my peeps, you know, that I like to talk to my messages that I like to deliver. But at the right. end of the day, my goal is an epic, amazing, adventurous, juicy life. Love it. All right. So well, I'm going to ask you a question, right, but Kevin, you got something. And it all yeah. begins and yeah, ends with supply chain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about being consequential or delivering something consequential to society. Right. And uh, that was something that we discussed last week uh, on Martin Luther King Day, Junior Day. That's right. Mm. That's right. And that was, uh, yeah, that, 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 that stopped a lot of folks in their tracks when, when Kevin was talking about uh, being consequential and, and, and actively making that decision. But I want to get more into your philosophy as we get into this interview. But before we get there, Bernice, I really enjoyed um, our pre-show conversation. We should have recorded that and released that as a podcast because uh, your person We can talk about it again. Because you asked yeah, we, about we, my dog who you just saw yes. walk that dog way. Dog food, <laughs> music, family. 
sports, you name it. Um, let's, <laughs> so let's get to know before we get into your record setting military career and, and entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ventures and you name it, let's get to know you a little bit better. So tell us where you grew up and let's talk about your upbringing a little bit, but what was important to your upbringing. So where'd you grow up? Well, do you want to talk about the exciting part of how I grew up or the regular like Wikipedia boring stuff? Uh, the exciting oh. stuff, no doubt. That's like a trick question, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, the both of them part? come together to create Bernice, right? That's right. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. You go blow it up. So, born in Chicago. Um, parents got divorced when I was three, right? Mom got remarried. We moved out to Cali. Grew up there till I was four years old. Moved to Memphis. Graduated high school there. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, when I was growing up in Memphis, Memphis is an old, older town. It's it's for adults, right? When you think of mm. Memphis, you think of Beale Street and blues and the barbecue and beer right. and bourbon and all that stuff. Everything we just named is for people over right. 21. So <laughs> when I was growing up, I was like, I am blowing this popsicle stand. I am never coming back. And of course, I came back and visited my first two weekends away at college then that really cured me when my dad was like i expect the dishes to be washed when i, was like, <laughs> I don't live here anymore come out of here Love it. Love it. <laughs> but um you know very and i was just talking about this earlier but i haven't really spoken about this much i think in the public domain when i grew up in california i lived in an all-white neighborhood there were maybe, mm. I think, three black kids in my school. There were a lot of Hispanics, a lot of Asians, a lot of white, but not a lot of blacks, right? Mm. Then in fourth grade, think about it. You know, the way I speak is already developed, my accent, all that kind of stuff. So in fourth grade, I moved to Memphis, which is um, a different kind of town. And the neighborhood my grandmother lived in was the first historically black, um, huge community of home ownership, like Dr. King was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel, which mm. was like less than 10 minutes from my grandmother's home, right? Wow. And now it's one of the toughest neighborhoods, I would think, in our nation with um, over 50% of the land inside. You know, the homes are either gone or dilapidated and drugs and violence. I mean, it's just really tough. So to for the transformation of that neighborhood, and then I moved there. And when I got there, it's like, oh, you talk like a white person. You have horses. You think you're this. You think you're that. And I'm like, wait a minute. Back up. What does talk like a white person mean? I mean, correct grammar is white and incorrect grammar is black. And, you know, so there were, and I was in fourth grade, right? right. And on the second day of school, this girl was like, go, you know, in my face, I was like, hit me, hit me. And she was like, pow. Like, oh, I got blood went everywhere. The teacher oh thought I was gosh. a troublemaker. And at that point, that's when I started getting bullied, right? Because I was not telling anybody to hit me after that, right? Mm. So, you know, I know you weren't looking for all of that when you asked me, you know, where I grew up, but um, that kind of those transitions, right, that a lot of military families see moving around a lot, right. um, even though it wasn't because of the military at that point in my in my childhood, but it really creates the person that we are, right? And there yeah. were some other things that really created the foundation of who I am. You'll probably ask me some questions and I'll be able to share more about that. But yep. that's the gist. And then I went to Nashville, Murfreesboro, exactly. Middle okay. Tennessee State University. Graduated from school there. So Kevin, I'll give you a chance. I, I want to um, 
Um, there's so much I want to ask you. Kevin, I'll give you a chance to follow up to that. And then I'm going to circle back before we talk military and talk uh, a few of the topics about Memphis. Kevin, your response to what well, she shared. Well, one thing I was, um, you said before we talked military, but yeah. you know, your life, your experience is what creates you. And uh, I mean, we didn't say this uh, earlier, but I've, uh, Bernice and I are actual first cousins. Don't tell anybody. Right, <laughs> so right. we've known each other for a long time, like right? all our lives. Exactly. Right? And I, I'm going to say, I know it's off color, but it's like, well, not only are we just not black and related, but we are like actual family. Like for real. For real. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, you know, um, <laughs> so you're talking about how moving and the, the, these changes really affect you. Uh, but um, your father, my uncle Clarence, I mean, um, he was in the military. Um, how did mm -hmm. that affect your growing up? Uh, was he strict when you grew up? Was he loose? Uh, what, you know, what did that do to you? How did that uh, set you off, so to speak? Hmm. So was he strict when we grew up? The answer is, well, first, let me show you this picture right here. For the folks that are looking at it on the web, oh, that's man. What awesome. about there. like look at that picture. He has such a baby face right there, doesn't he? Yeah. No, I mean he was like a drill instructor on the drill field too, and he played for the Colts when they were back in Baltimore, way back in the day. Wow. Yeah. So this guy not only was he a three-tour Vietnam vet and my uh, American hero, this guy was tough, right? And um, I remember we would say. Oh man, dad, we're cold. He's like, you're not cold. It's just your imagination. I'm like, no, I can see my breath. Really. Oh, and this is in the morning waking up, right? It's like no heat at night. Yeah. Get under your covers. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad was Tough. amazing. He taught mm. me about uh, integrity, you know, and the, the, your word being everything mm. lying. Yep. Oh my God. I, was afraid to lie well into adulthood for the like because it was just so not in my DNA. Because if there was anything my dad couldn't stand, number one, it was a lie. And he said, mm. "If you lie, now we have to deal with the lie and the truth, because I'm going to find out." And mm. that's really deep when you think about it. I remember he used to hold his hands up and he'd say, "Hit me!" Hit me. I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh, uh," you know. So he taught me how to be tough and protect myself and take up for who I am and stand up and speak up. Uh, he got my, my my very first pony when I was six years old, right? I wanted to be a cop wow. that rode a horse downtown. You know, I got my first pony. I'm like, yes, I am halfway there, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I'll a ticket book and a badge and I'll start issuing right, citations. Right, 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 right. I'm surprised I didn't get a notebook paper and, start, and try to give people tickets or something. But um, no, he was just, he was an amazing guy. I uh, had a great childhood as tough and as firm as he was, he was also loving and compassionate, right? Mm. So I um, really had a great mentor and role model and a great guy I could always talk to, right? Great, mm. great guy. That's Clarence, Clarence Armour. Yeah, Clarence Jackson. No, Jackson. Was, Remember oh, my Clarence parents Jackson. got divorced when I was three, so uh, I still have right. my father's last name, yeah. Clarence Action Jackson, Jackson. So come on now. Yeah, and my father Gilbert, he was a, he went in the Marine also. But that's one reason I actually asked you that because 
Is that what made you become a jarhead? I mean, a Marine? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so we're already stepping in. We're already stepping in. So, okay, I'm going to tell you one joke, and this is not about Navy or Marine or Army. So I was, I was on the train in, in Atlanta. I live in Atlanta now. I've been here for six years. And uh, I got on, and this older gentleman, he, you know, he looked at me, and he said, hey, were you in the military? And I said, yes, sir, Marine Corps. And, you know, he goes, oh, that's great. And most people say, oh, wow, thank you for your service. He said, oh, wow, I was never in the military. But I did retire out of the Air Force after 30 years. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. oh. All my airmen, brothers and sisters. He said that joke. I did not make it up. And <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my God, that is hilarious. So feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, all that stuff. <laughs> because you all have your share of Marine jokes out there, and that's okay. That's look okay. That. Look, look at that. We got Air Force, Marine, and Navy all on the same screen. Oh, it's amazing. Right. <laughs> yep. So, uh, all right. So let's talk uh, your why, right, Kevin? Right? Your why Say for joining. Your, your why for joining yeah, the Marines, yeah. right? Yeah, why joining the Marines? I mean, uh, and uh, I mean, Scott already talked about the fact that you are first black female combat pilot. Did you want to fly? Is that why you went to the Marine? Because that's not the first, you know, branch you would think exactly. about if you wanted to fly. Right. So actually, my grandfather was a Mumford Point Marine. Right. Which is for those that don't know about the Muffer Point Marines, uh, 1942 signed the order. Um, the Marine, the Muffer Point Marines were the first to desegregate the Marine Corps, just like the Tuskegee mm. Airmen with uh, flying. Right. Marine. Many don't know that the Marine Corps actually had three places for boot camp, not just San Diego and Paris Island, but Camp Johnson, which is where black Marines went to go through boot camp. It, it is no longer in existence now. It's just. Um, Paris Island or San Diego now, but uh, my grandfather went off to war. Um, my dad, Clarence, a couple tours in Vietnam. He was in the Korean War, and I wanted to be third generation Marine Corps. Now, all that being said, when I first got to college, I did enter the delayed entry program in 90, August of 92, went through Fort Jackson in uh, January of 93, enlisted, came back in the summer, made up my classes because I withdrew for a semester to go uh, through training. Then enter ROTC, Army ROTC. We didn't have Navy ROTC at my campus. Ended up becoming a police officer, which, again, I wanted to do, you know, since I was a little kid. And eventually went on to become a Marine. I, I usually say, and then I saw the light, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. Right. But just by right. thinking about that and, and, and sort of part of your, your life, you, you've also served as a diversity liaison officer at the Pentagon. Um, so as you look back mm -hmm. on the life, did, did it prepare you for your experience or did your experience uh, create your life? What are the eureka moments uh, in, in your role as a diversity officer, as a Marine, as a pilot, that that you would share with, with business leaders today because we have these issues in business when it comes to uh, diversity, when it comes to yeah. not lying. I mean, we have a big problem with, with people with uh, fake resumes. Um, mm. 
So uh, what have you learned in your life? That you would yeah, it's interesting. And, and I'll start off by saying, you know, I am well aware that most of the folks listening to this podcast don't look like me, right? They're probably middle-aged white guys um, throwing a couple women. Uh, and then you have the, the rare person, me, right? And the one thing that I've learned, no matter where I lived as a kid, as an adult, being a cop, in the military, now being an entrepreneur, is that, you know, at the end of the day, even when you look at politics and Republican and Democrat or third party, whatever, at the end of the day, we all want to have a great life in a great country, right? Mm. Now, we might disagree on how we get there and what that looks like, but at the end of the day, I believe that's all, that's, that's what we all have in our hearts to create. And when I became uh, a diversity officer, I'll be honest, I had no idea about the world of diversity. And mm -hmm. I was I was pissed. I got moved to headquarters Marine Corps as a diversity officer in the equal opportunity. I was like, what? I mean, how did I get moved to equal opportunity? They said, well, Armour, they wanted a black female pilot. I'm like, I'm the only one. How equal is that? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> now, I wasn't the only one in the Marine Corps at the time. There were two others, Miska and Elizabeth. I was the only one up for orders, right? And, uh, and there were only three black female pilots in the Marine Corps. Wow. And that was back in 2001, 2002, when we all came in. And there has not, not been another ago, black female honest. pilot. Right, not too long ago, and 20 years ago, right? And I think we just got another black female pilot in the Marine Corps. Should there be 20 years between a woman becoming a, a black female? And let's be honest, when I first applied to the Marine Corps, I didn't get in. Uh, there's an 88% attrition rate. After the first year, 88% of people don't reapply. So I was part of that 12% that applied the second year, didn't make it third year didn't make it the fourth year they're probably thinking okay this chick's not going away <laughs> right <laughs> and i was invited to go to officer candidate school made it through graduated from flight school um number one out of my class of 12 and number one out of the last 200 folks to graduate wow. um because i was super focused and i knew that i was doing something that hadn't been done before and i knew a lot of eyes were on me and I wanted to do the best that I could do. And I wanted to fly Cobras. Mm. And the number one guy got to pick whatever they wanted to fly, whether uh, it was available or not, you still got it. So, so I really, was really determined quick. to fly Cobras. So really quick. So when you say Cobras, we're talking about a Huey Cobra gunship, right? Huey. Wow, uh, I'm sorry. Um, who, Did you say uh, Air Force? Well, I can't, couldn't know who made the Cobra. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Huey... <laughs> Well, <laughs> so they do call it the skid kids. Hueys have skids and Cobras have skids. Okay. Um, but the Huey is troop transport. It has crew chiefs on the side shooting the gun. It's what you see in Vietnam, right? Right. And right, right. for the most part in all the, the movies. And then the, the Cobra is tandem, two pilots, can't carry any passengers, 20 millimeter Gatling gun out the front. And the army used to have Cobras as well. Then they switched to the Apache platform. Marine Corps, of course, limited budget. We say we're sticking with the Cobras. Um, and now they're on the Zulu model, which is four blade glass cockpit. Absolutely amazing piece of gear. Oh man. Okay. So I promise you, I've, I've actually ridden in a helicopter before, uh, not the Huey, but the Blackhawk. I got, I got an incentive ride over Atlanta about a year or two ago. Fascinating. Oh, what? Fascinating. Yeah. 
I went through, uh, <laughs> have you ever heard of a group called Vetlana? Space here in Atlanta. No, Big I need to be oh, connected. Definitely. We got, we got to talk about that. Um, well, all right. So talk, talk to me for a second, if I can nerd out just for a second. And then with both of y'all, both of y'all are pilots and y'all have had experiences that an overwhelming majority of others will not have. So flying mm -hmm. that Cobra, especially that, you know, a, a vehicle built for combat, right? It's been serving in the military for quite some time to be the pilot and, and to lead that um, powerful platform into Talk to us about that. What was that like? Your first mission? Um, you know, just how fulfilling and rewarding was that? You know, and I'll throw the diversity piece in again as well. Um, only because, you know, diversity is not a buzzword for me. It's not something that's just a, a fad or a right. thing. Um, it really had a, it's, it's real, right? I saw a black female in a flight suit when I was at advanced leadership school in, at Fort Bragg, right? Leadership advanced camp. And it planted a seed. And because of seeing that woman, I chose to be a pilot. When I finally made it, um, first in the Marine Corps, then we, we go to war. My very first mission, it's night, clouds at 300 feet, couldn't see the moon, tank, oil fires everywhere, hulks on fire. And as we were getting closer to the border between Kuwait and Iraq, I was on the lead aircraft and I remember saying three, two, one, we're in Iraq. Wow. And there was complete silence and you could have mm. heard a pin drop over the radio. And we were not in contact with base anymore because we were too far away. We weren't in contact with friendlies yet because we hadn't located them. And I could feel my body oozing back into the armor of the seat because that was the mm. only armor on the aircraft, on the entire aircraft. And if we got shot down, no one would know where we were and no one would even be looking for us for another couple hours. Right. Wow. So it was this uh, crazy feeling. And I could feel even the fear, right, of just like, oh, my, we're not shooting at tires and people are shooting at us trying to take us out of the sky. And I could feel the fear, you know, just kind of emanating out from my body. And those that can see me, you know, just like explosion. <clears throat> and I remember the why, right? To protect the soldiers and Marines on the ground. Mm. And I could feel it, the energy come back in and focus like a finely tuned laser burning through steel, right? And I think that can happen to us in life where things get overwhelming. COVID, you know, the, what we've all been through over these last couple of years, and everybody's hoping 2022 isn't a three-peat, right? And yes. at a certain point... You have to re collect yourself, reassess, then reinvent, you know, well, actually reimagine first, right? Reassess, where am I? Reimagine, what do I want to create? Reinvent, create a new plan, uh, reinvigorate. Oh my God, I felt like I was been sitting in the same chair for like two years now, right? In front mm -hmm. of this screen doing Zooms and, and webinars <laughs> and all this virtual stuff. Right. And then re-engage, re re-attack, you know, get back out there. So now a lot of live events are coming back online. And um, over that time of COVID, I and I think a lot of people got to reassess, reimagine where they are in life and put some things in perspective about what is life and how am I spending it and what am I doing with it and what do right. I want to create with it, right? 
So it's been an amazing couple of years with definitely some challenges, some up and ups and downs. But I believe opportunities or obstacles are just opportunities in disguise, as Napoleon Hill would say. But I really, I really like the way you said that about how you have to reimagine yourself and and figure out not where you are, but wh- what you would be. And and one of the things we try to do on Reverend Voices is speak to those veterans that are transitioning out of the military. I mean, so you came from, you know, riding a gunship to, you know, being a, a regular person trying to figure out how do you reimagine yourself? How do you transition mm-hmm. out of the military? How do you change your mindset? How how difficult was that? What how would you what would you share with that um uh, you know military individual that was doing one thing one day and now they're a civilian mm-hmm. well script a little bit so scott when when you transitioned when you got out when you founded supply chain now right right as founder ceo you know what was your thought process mm-hmm. on hey i want to create this big thing mm-hmm. and did you imagine it as a big thing when you first created it or were you thinking, this is my little niche right here, and I'm going to work in this this spot? And it grew into something you never imagined. Yeah, the, certainly the latter. Uh, and you, like you, as you crossed over into Iraq, uh, <laughs> that fear, if we're going to be honest, that fear. Because, uh, you know, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're flying, I mean, of course, with support and uh, like incredibly capable and intelligent wife and partner in crime, but holy cow, the fear of, of creating kind of being independent. So yeah, definitely the latter. It was, uh, you're going to follow your passions and, and see what you can build. Right. Yeah. And Kevin, um, you know, I've known you ever since I was like, you know, five or six years old. And I just thought it was cool that my older cousin was a jet jock and, you know, he walked around all cool. I saw your pictures. Right? <laughs> and after the military, you know, You've worked inside of corporate America, and you've also been an entrepreneur. You've written a best-selling book. I mean, how yeah. did you see yourself stepping out in in that direction? Well, I know I flipped again, the table. I flipped the table. Yeah, you did. Who's being interviewed here, right? right. But um, <laughs> it's sort of like uh, something that I've used in my life is uh, to look at. Uh, my we develop my five year plan every year. So I try to mm-hmm. reimagine mm-hmm. what I want to do in the future and do today what I need to do to get there. Now it always changes. It's never the mm-hmm. same thing. And the the destination is never what I've envisioned to be five years ago. But it uh, also allows me to understand, accept, and work through change. But when you were going to step out and be a consultant, like <laughs> what, what were your, <laughs> right. So, I mean, and I'm talking to, so it doesn't matter white, black, Hispanic, uh, Asian, male, female. I mean, there we're human, right? And fear, mm. even you go back to cavemen, they had a fear of survival, right? And you got to right. kill the, yeah. Uh, the whatever saber tooth tiger, you know, that pterodactyl. But the same thing is fear of paying, right. being able to pay your mortgage. <laughs> right. 
Yes, there's some days I'd rather face that Velociraptor than than try to tackle that mortgage bill for being in real. <laughs> right, right. Look, refinance, rates are low. Um, so what I would say to that is the gutsy move, right in your gut. You know, it's right. It takes guts to do it, but you got to take action. And that's the thing the three of us have in common. And especially if you've been, I was in the military for 14 years, five years, army reserves, nine year active duty Marine Corps, right? 14 years. And, um, now to get an active duty retirement, I would have had to have done 11 more years. Right. So people say, Oh, right. why'd you get out? Like 11 more years, right? 11 years, a long time. And that yeah. would have been a whole lot of deployments. Plus I had this mission in mind already. And you're either hundred percent Marine or because you're not doing a whole lot of stuff outside of being a Marine. Right. And when I looked at making that move, I remember the three-star general called me in his office and it was General Coleman. And he said, why should I let you out of my Marine Corps? And I said, well, sir, this is what I want to do and why. And a big part of it was diversity front, right? Where I wanted to show a woman and a minority in a, a science, a STEM field and a combat arms field to give that access and exposure. When I saw that woman, it planted a seed. I'd never thought about being a pilot before that. And actually my battle buddy, young white female was on an aviation uh, contract. And I was like, ah, black people don't fly, which is not the truth, right? <laughs> Tuskegee Airmen, Bessie Coleman, Willa Brown, the legacy is long and large, but it's about yeah. access and exposure, which is, go ahead. Yeah. Your cousin also flew. Thank you. Oh, right. <laughs> I love it. That's right. Oh, no, my God. Look, look, look. Right. Right. I know. It's so crazy. It's like not until something is just in your face. But tell me, you know, with supply chain now and the services that you provide, you talk to different clients and different folks and like something has to be so in their face and they're like, Oh wow. I didn't really think about that. So you're giving them the access and exposure in a different way where, you know, it's like, this can be your solution. It just doesn't have to right. be a solution for someone else. This, whatever set solution set you give them, right. This can absolutely work for you. So that access and exposure, um, is huge. And what I call that again, the gutsy move in your gut, you know, it's right. It takes guts to do it, but there's right. a catch. You gotta take action. If you don't take action, it wasn't it wasn't Lip a gutsy move. It's right. just a gutsy thought. That's right. That's right. And and gutsy thoughts don't get our ports moving again. No, they don't. Right. They don't pay bills. They don't that's right. They don't do any of that stuff. So let me ask you. They definitely don't uh, pay bills. <laughs> so you so um that three star general, General Coleman, I think was his name or her name. Yep. Um they let it you is. out of the Marines. What year did you transition? to uh, the private sector, I guess. August 07. Now, my last okay. day on terminal leave was June 1st. And okay. I had six gigs lined up for that month. And folks, well, oh, man, how did you already have six gigs before you even got out? So there's this thing called networking that I had no idea what it was. Okay. Didn't know I was doing it. But networking, and this is, this is for folks who are transitioning, like this is so key, right? Because mm. we all hear about network, got a network, got a network. Gotta... Networking mm -hmm. is relationship building. It's not right. how fast can I work the room and <laughs> shove a card in somebody's face. I actually got to the point where I didn't even give my card to anyone unless they asked for it, right? And when I first walked in or whenever I got introduced to someone new, I didn't ask what did they do. I said, right. how can I be of service? Then people would look at me like, oh, 
Because think of we're here we are walking around, quote unquote, networking, trying to meet our needs, our aims. Like there's an objective, hopefully, that you have. And then someone asks how they can help you meet your objective. And you're like deer in the headlights. Right. <laughs> so that um, that desire to be of service really paid huge dividends um, because people, when you care, they just show up in a different way. It's not a, what can I get? What can I get? But it's a, what can I give? And you're automatically going to get back. I think that's so, one thing that uh, people in the military don't recognize the importance of relationship and the importance of the network. And when you are in the military, you have to pay attention to those relationships and that network because that is really what's going to grease your skids for transitioning into the other world because it's not another world. It's the same world. It's the same it relationship. Is. It's the same it network. <laughs> so that brings up another good point, right? So how are people meeting, how are military service members who are still on active duty, how are they meeting people outside of the military? Or, right. you know, are you maintaining the connections to the folks who have already transitioned out? So when you're transitioning, you can be in contact with them, right? But also, what are your extracurricular activities? What are you getting involved in, you know, three, five years before you get out? Like you said, Kev, you know, to grease the skids um, to make an easier transition. So you already know folks, hopefully in the area uh, that you want to go into. And, you know, and I'll urge you to really really put some thought into it. If you've given 10, 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years to our great country, you can absolutely be a beltway bandit. You can absolutely throw, get out of your uniform on Friday and throw on a business suit on Monday and go back and be a GS or SES or whatever. And I would encourage you, what do you really want to do? Like, what do you really yeah. want to do? If you had 20 million bucks in the bank, and you mm -hmm. could do anything and you were guaranteed not to fail, what would you do? Oh, man. And if your answer is different from what you're getting ready to do or what you're doing, why is it different? And why are you settling? Like, why are you not going for it? Even wow. on a part-time basis, a side hustle basis, basis like how? Because your life is what you create, period, right. end of story. And we're not here long. That's um, that's that reinventing yeah. aspect. Right. Because right. it's safe, right? It's safe. It's, it's, I remember, so I wanted, once I got in the Marine Corps, folks started asking me to speak for their units and uh, like a scholarship luncheon and be a part of the women's mentoring program and speak to the enlisted women. And it was really cool. When I got back from Iraq, my dad asked me to speak for a school and I was like, wow, you know, I was in my dress blues and looking good and slim and trim. And these kids are looking up to me. I was like, this is, you know, I will always do this. This will be a part of my community give back. Right. And at the time I thought of myself as a motivational speaker. Now it's inspirational leadership, right? Because mm -hmm. motivation, that's, that's external. That's outside stuff. I want to light the pilot light on the inside, get people on fire where they can keep their, their light lit. Right. And, uh, I wanted to do like, I wanted to go to FBI, DEA, ATF, CIA, something like that. I always thought it'd be cool to be a spy. Um, right. Or I was thinking about being a physical <laughs> therapist, you know, becoming a doctor. And I said, you know, and I'll, if, if speaking ever blows up, I'll do it full time. But right. it's like, how did I even know about speaking being a career? I was at a conference, again, access and exposure. I was at a conference, 2,500 people there. It was a corporate um, 
STEM, Women of Color and Technology Awards, right? And so all the top Fortune 500, a lot of them were there. And this woman or whoever was up on stage speaking, and I said, oh, wait a minute. You mean they get paid for that? <laughs> New Dream was born, <laughs> right? New pilot light on. Right. And at one of those conferences, I was walking down the halls after a breakout session, and I just spoke at my table. It was like maybe eight women at my table. So this is not speaking to the whole room, just my table. And a couple of women walked up and said, oh, my God, we're so inspired. We're all going for our plan A. I was like, that's great. And then inside I was thinking, holy crap, I inspired mm. them to go for their plan A and I'm not even going for mine. Wow. And in that moment, because I've been waiting for a sign, when am I going to get out? When am I going to get out? When is, when is the right time to make a move? When am I going to get, you know, everybody plays with that. When is the time if they're not looking at that 20 year mark, right? Right. Sure. And uh, so at that conference, I made up my mind and I, the whole rest of the conference, I went around telling everybody I was getting out, including the generals that were there. I do not recommend that exit strategy to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I came back, I turned in my papers. Um, they were approved for me to resign my commission um, within 30 days. I had six months before I, I went on terminal leave on June 1st. August 7th, 2007 was my last day in. And, you know, how I really got that jump start was just telling people what I wanted to do. And when people know what you want to do, they can show up to help you. But if you just mm. try to squirrel it away, keep it secret, and you're just like, boom, I would I just wanna, I just wanna get there first and then everybody can see what I've done. That folks is, can't work for that. Right. That's that's a tough road right there because you're just trying to do it all by yourself. And there's not right. anything you did by yourself in the military. Nothing. Like so, it was it was right. team all the way. So um businesses and entrepreneur books, honorary doctorates. Um, all the different things you've been, you've been involved in so much since you exited, since evidently you had that epiphany and exited, uh, the Marines. What's been, um, what, what's one of your favorites? What's one of your favorite things that you've done since leaving the military? And then I want to talk about your, some of your advisory roles. Ooh, okay. I am absolutely, well, I'll say it this way. I was reading Golf Magazine. That's the first clue. I'm reading a golf magazine. I was reading Golf Magazine. <laughs> and the article title, <laughs> the article title said, How do you know if you're obsessed or addicted to golf? I was like, Oh, that's good. What if it's both? I, I rediscovered golf, right? Um, in the military, I really didn't play at all. I played a good bit before I went in. I uh, lived in Phoenix for a little while. And as an entrepreneur, it's work, 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 work. And then after a couple of years, I was like, wait a minute, I am just working myself to death. And I'm not, I'm just flying into these cities and flying out and going here and going. I'm not spending any time. I'm going to these great destinations. I'm not enjoying anything. It's like, what do I love to do? And play golf and ski or slash snowboard. I wanted to learn how to do that. So the golfing became my summer sport, which is also now my winter sport because I go to Orlando, Miami, and Tampa a lot in the winter time. <laughs> okay. And my goal was to play 25 rounds of golf on business. Wow. And it has been so much fun. So in my first life, I was a cop. In my second life, I was a Marine. In my third life, I'm an entrepreneur. And in my fourth life, I am going to be on the master's tour. Wow. <laughs> oh, Money and practice, right? Money and practice. That's all you need. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, all right, yeah. one quick follow up, and then, and Kevin, I want you to 
you to comment on some of what you're hearing here before we get into okay. some of the other businesses that are looking for um, that look regularly to uh, Bernice's uh, expertise and perspective. What's what is one of your favorite golf courses you've you've been able to play? Ooh, I think. Are you, do I have to just say one? Can I say two? <laughs> sure. Two. Oh, you got man, it. you're right. I got a list. You're right. Because I went. I actually went to Scotland. I mean, and I played the old course. Oh. I played um, Darnock. I played Carnoustie. Um, yeah. So I've also played Torrey Pines. I've played Pinehurst. Um, man. I played that was such a hard question, I know. I'm <laughs> really addicted. Like, favorite out of, even just that list. And that's just, what, how many, like seven courses right there? It's a really um, like one of Monterey and somebody asked me, hey, we're going right. to go play at Pebble, Pebble Beach. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think hands down my favorite course was Pinehurst number two. The okay. U.S. Open had just been played. And when I was on the tee, you know, you're look because it's links, right? It's links and you're looking down the first four holes before it makes that right turn. And I just, and you could see all the foursomes with all their caddies walking down. And I was like, oh my God, Tiger Woods was just walking on this course, this person, this person. And do you think of all the historical folks who have walked those same steps and to cap it off, I finished with the same ball I started with. Dang, man. All right. That's so Bernice, we're going we're, we're gonna to have to get into some uh, golf tips at some point. You send me some <laughs> consulting invo invoices. Um, all right. So these next two. I want to get so, back, get Kevin. Go ahead, Kev. No, no, no. I was, I was, um, you know, a lot of things we've been thinking about is uh, about internal, right? Because mm. Bernice was talking about she really wanted to light the internal fire of people. And she was talking about when she was sitting at this table with eight people, when she sort of discovered her own fire. And this, this kind of, uh, really puts into my face you know what i i really know about you and and your your goal to help people go from zero to breakthrough see how i did that oh baby i like how you worked that in i like how you worked that in because, because that zero is that beginning where you don't know right. what you want to do and trying to find your fire but what you don't know is how long will it take to your breakthrough? Can I survive paying the mortgage until I get my breakthrough? So, so, mm, um, so and you've developed this success model. So I want to know how does somebody, the second they find their internal fire and they've made that decision to, to do it, whatever it is, until they break through, that fear of, well, will I ever break through? How long will it take me to break through? Will I mm -hmm. lose my house before I break through? What is, mm -hmm. what is that success model? What is it? Um, yeah. How do you <laughs> leverage that model? How does it impact an individual and maybe a business or a CEO of a business? Four months into my business, I found myself behind in the house note, partner, kid, mom was living with us. I mean, I was not just some young kid out just willy nilly. I'm going for it. I was going for it, but I had also had a responsibility and people depending on me. 
And that conference that I said I was, you know, getting out and I was telling everybody. Right. Well, when yeah. I did that, there were a lot of folks that said, hey, we want to bring you in. And I was like, OK, great. And again, I knew nothing about networking, getting people's information and all of that stuff. Right. So, um, and at that point where this was mid-October, the end of October, actually, because the conference was mm -hmm. September, November 2nd, 3rd, 4th. And it was coming up. and it was too late to buy a ticket because it was like a week, right? It was um, Tuesday. I woke up in the morning. It's a Wednesday morning. I'll never forget. And I'm pacing back and forth in my bathrobe. Okay. And I just been reading the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And I was like, in that book, he said, the mere, mere act of smiling changes, shifts the physiology in your body. I was like, all right, I got to smile. <laughs> not exactly a smile. I was showing a lot of teeth. But it wasn't exactly a smile. And, you know, the Marine and cop in me said, all right, you got to follow it up with action. So made a couple calls and I ended up talking to Larry and uh, I said, well, you know, things aren't going all that great. And this ended up being more of an associate call. And he said, well, a friend of mine is having a thing in thir on Thursday down in Durham. You could come down halfway, hit the conference the next morning, you know, spend the night, shower up, get ready. And, you know, what ran through my mind was, OK, I don't know where I'd stay. I'd have to sleep in my truck don't know what I eat. And I definitely don't have registration for the conference. Again, the gutsy move, right? That that right. the voice would not go away. It's that voice doesn't let you go to sleep at night, wakes you up in the morning, you know, that voice, right? Now some people mm -hmm. have multiple voices. That's right. <laughs> it's when you can't shake. <laughs> so I decided it's not to go all down. Bad. Right. It's not all bad. <laughs> and I'm standing there in my suit, right? And this guy, conference organizer, walks up. He goes, Oh, Captain Armor. We didn't know you were coming. I'm thinking, neither did I. <laughs> he said, hey, we had a speaker fall out. Do you mind filling in? And don't worry, we got your conference registration in your hotel. I was like, what? And it was also one of those conferences where they feed you, you know, at the banquets and luncheons and all that. Oh, man. It, so in that moment, it's like the stars just align. But I, it's like that Indiana Jones movie where he has to step out into the canyon and then the pylon comes up and meets his foot. Right. But at first he just, he was just stepping out or like the movie, um, onward, faith. right? Yeah. Yes, faith. absolutely. Faith. And, you know, within 30 days I had checks in my business checking account from companies like Bank of America and Boeing airplanes. Right. And that year within another eight months, so 12 months total from August to August, my company broke hundred hundred thousand dollars, hundred thirty six thousand dollars to be exact. Right. More money than I'd ever made in my life. And four months into it, I was a month, month behind in my house note. Within four years, my business broke seven figures. I, I almost shudder to think where I would be right now had I not made that gutsy move. Right. So, so many people say, well, what if this? What if? What if the fear? Uh, uh. It's not what if I do? It's like, my God, what if you don't? What future mm. are you putting at risk? What security are you throwing away for, for your family? What, you know, for your kids, college? And it's not what if you do. The, the real question is what if you don't? What's the cost? Mm. Well, see, so you're, you've foreshadowed my next question because you've, you've written many, many books uh, and bestsellers, right? And uh, next book, is entitled the gutsy move so that's when you're that's at right. that zero 
before you can even start towards that that breakthrough. You've told us mm -hmm. about your gutsy move. How how can somebody that is behind in their mortgage and has all these responsibilities and really only has that vision and a fire inside of them. What is your advice for making that gutsy move? No, that's good. Um, number one, it doesn't have to be all or nothing like I did, right? Doesn't It just doesn't have to be that way. There can be preparation, but don't let it be preparation on ice. Sometimes you just have to be ignorance on fire. And Les Brown had a saying, he's like, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing ugly. I mean, it won't be all the way perfect, it won't be all the way pretty, it won't be all the way polished and put in place, but you have to start right, taking right. action. The supply chain now isn't the supply chain of the day it was started. It's right. completely different. It has evolved. It has, had tr it has transformed, right? So how do we start from where we are. And that's really what zero means. Zero is today, right now, because there's no before, there's no after. We're, we're right here. How do we, you know, you know me and my helicopter analogies. I'm not a sexy jet. <laughs> I don't need all that runway. I don't need all that runway. You can just put me in a field. I'm going to pick up. I'm going to take <laughs> off from where I am. So that's my thing. Who needs a runway? Take off from where you are, from zero mm. to boom, breakthrough right? As soon right. as my skids lift up off the ground, I am in flight. Even if I'm hovering, I'm still in flight. I am taking right. action and you keep taking action and build up the, that momentum. So no matter where you are, you know, write out an, an action strategy, write out, write out a plan. And you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to do it in a vacuum. Who is someone that is already on the path to where you want to be? Ask them some specific questions. Ask for some um, mentoring time, you know, and once you get those first steps, you don't have to have the whole plan to start taking action. Dr. King said you don't have to see the whole staircase to take the first step, right? Mm. You right. take the first step and the next and the next and the next. The secret sauce, folks, is in, well, let me say it this way. There are only two ways to succeed. The first time or again, or again, mm. or again, <laughs> or again. Secret right. sauce is in the reattack, reattack, mm. reattack. And once again, you highlight, yeah, and once again, you highlight the the value of your relationships and your network. You don't need to do it alone. Mm. If you okay, another stat: most women-owned businesses do not make over fifty thousand dollars a year. Now, I know most folks on this podcast probably hasn't even heard that stat before. Mm. but most women-owned businesses don't make over $50,000. Why is that? Because they try to do it all themselves. Oh, well, they won't do it like I would do it, or, da, 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 or I could do it myself. Because think about it, a lot of women are moms, and they take care of the household, and they, they don't have a sister wife. They have right. to do it all themselves, and women are... Um, we also know about Title IX and a lot of women in sports and stuff. They didn't grow up in sports like young girls of today are. So that teamwork aspect isn't hasn't necessarily always been there, right? Right. But the team is the very thing that's going to allow you to go farther. So have a personal advisory board, right? It's a mm. lot easier for a hundred people to carry a log than one. And when you're mm. bouncing, when I, even when as an entrepreneur out now, when I'm making my marketing materials or looking at this, looking at that, I don't come up with it 
by myself in a vacuum, you're going to be sitting there forever. Mm. I actually reach out to previous clients, uh, whether it's an organization or an executive women I've coached, right? I work with executive women in STEM and tech that want to mm. climb in leadership and be the leader mm. of divisions and enterprises. So they have to have allies because if that table, if a promotion is up and folks are sitting around that table and no one at that table looks like her, well, who's, who's speaking for it? I mean, Right. You 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 have to have allies that don't look like you, too. Right. So yeah. let me just say yep. that sponsors, champions. But we, even if you're the average white guy, Scott, not that I'm calling you average by any means. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you hadn't seen my golf game. Uh, Bernice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to play. I'm yeah. going to see it. I'm going to see it. it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, Are you here in Atlanta? I really like that. I said, I really I'm on the like fringe the of Metro Atlanta, so we'll definitely get connected. We'll have you. In Where fact, we'll you? have to have you in our in-personal. We're out in Walton County, so we're halfway to Athens. We're we're on the fringe oh, of that. Was okay. it 26 counties that make up the Metro Atlanta area? But but you know we've oh, got our in-person nothing. studio. We'll have you in. Maybe we'll do that. Do something in person. Maybe have Kev, Kevin fly down, and then we'll all go out and cool. uh, break bread and play golf. Uh, Kevin, you were going to say something before. Uh, you were going to say something, Kevin? Well, I know we're, uh, I know we're probably gone over over a, a lot of time, so I really appreciate you uh, bringing little. us in with us <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but I just wanted to uh, end up by saying I think it, what you're telling me is that gutsy move, in order to make that gutsy move, you also have to have your network. You have to have your relationships, and you have to believe in yourself. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, well said so much here. So, you know, gosh, usually I take 17 pages of notes on these, these things. I think I've got closer to 30 with one. <laughs> Bernice, <laughs> really, just, the whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is so much, there is so much. In fact, including going back to, um, I think you said it, it was the Mumford point Marines. I'd never heard that story. Uh, and I've heard a lot yep. of, of military history stories and, and veteran stories. So I'm going to look that up and learn more about that. Um, all Please right. do. And we didn't, even, we didn't even get to um, so much that you're up to. Um, I'm glad we tackled the book with the business. I mean, you're on Forbes School of Business and Technology Board of Advisors, the Comcast, NBC Universal, Joint Diversity Council. Uh, Council. We didn't talk about uh, uh, Fly Girl Construction or uh, v, is it VAI Consulting and Training, right? Yep, how, that's how the speaking and coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so how folks can, can folks connect on LinkedIn? Um, LinkedIn is, of course, primary, right? Then, of course, there's Instagram for more personal communication or Twitter. Email flygirl at verniceArmor.com. Don't forget the use, just like Under Armour, <laughs> but Vernice Armor. And I, I feel like I'm easily accessible. And if you know of an organization that would love to hear more of this message or have me in as um, a keynote speaker, or you want more of a conversation that leads to some uh, aspects of consulting, I would love to connect. However, I awesome. can be of service. Gosh, you bring so much to the table, Vernice, and you do so um, uh, in, in such a uh, engaging and uh, I, don't know, I, mean, I, I probably laughed, I don't know, about 50 times a day. I mean, really, you can learn while you enjoy, you can be challenged while you enjoy, you can, you know, you can be, um, uh, developed and, and reimagining and reinventing yourself, learning from you while you kind of enjoy the process. And that's not always, we can all probably speak to, that's not always the case. Thank that you. is not always <laughs> the case. Um, 
huge thanks, Kevin. I'm gonna get before I um, uh, wrap up our time here with Vernice. I'll give mm-hmm. you the last word, and then me and you will close. You know, can I no, say one so, thing real quick? Yeah, yeah, please, sure. Vernice. Um, there's a resource if if folks are really struggling or not struggling, they just want to get clear on their gutsy move. I have a what I call the ultimate action guide for creating you know your gutsy move, and they can go to getclearwithflygirl.com. Get clear with flygirl.com and maybe you can put that in the description of the podcast as well um so folks can get that easily um but that's just whether it's for you or someone you know or your kids whatever i just want that information to be out there because i think if more people really went for a fulfilling amazing life too many folks friends colleagues got the wife the husband the kids the car the picket fence and they're like jesus this all there is like they're 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 just something right they're missing right right so how do we go for it and how do we get that fulfilling life all right cousin get clear with flygirl.com yeah you're 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 absolutely right but that long laundry list of things that you have to care about you have to start Mm -hmm. about caring about yourself understanding Mm -hmm. and stoking that fire that's inside of you because if you don't Stoke that fire into a flame. All those other things will go away. Mm, that's true. So that's true. thank that you very much for, for giving us that, that vision of how to make the gutsy move. That's right. Absolutely. Find that fire and then pour gasoline on top. Uh, so really very appreciative of Renice of your time here today. We've been chatting with author, speaker, coach, entrepreneur, uh, in demand, on the move, the mover and shaker. Uh, Vernice Flygirl <laughs> Armor. Uh, thank you so much, Vernice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and we look forward appreciate to reconnecting you in person soon. Honor to be of service. Stay gutsy. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, Kevin. Man, right. I am oh, so glad. Awesome. There's there's so much there. I mean, regardless of what season of life, you know, to our listeners, if you're you know, still in the military and you're preparing for your transition or, or preparing for your retirement, or if you're already out and you're kind of working your way through the, you know, mm-hmm. the professional journey or, or if you're facing life's challenges, whatever, gosh, Bernice just, just showed up with a, um, I'll call it a helicopter pallet load of, <laughs> uh, of, of <laughs> practical tools, tips, been there, done that challenging folks to think different and reinvent reimagine and reinvent their path forward your final word kevin sure. one thing is she said that uh uh really um envisions that gutsy move right and you only get that from the helicopter pilot right even you know once you take off you are flying right and even if you're just hovering you're taking action so when you need to change your life or you need to have a transition or you need to do something, take action. Just because mm-hmm. you're in the same place doesn't mean you're not flying. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I love that, Kevin. What a great, uh, what a great uh, uh, point to spike the football on. Okay, how can folks okay. connect uh, with the one and only Kevin L. Jackson? Of course, Digital Transformers, your books, your business, Gosh, you've got a bunch of things going on, too. How can folks connect with you? Well, absolutely. Uh, Kevin at KevinLJackson.com or 
Digital Transformers on supply chain now. And uh, we have a great year lined up. So just reach out anytime or on LinkedIn. I love it. Love that. I uh, love our collaboration, Kevin. Uh, again, thanks so much for facilitating today's interview with uh, the fly girl, Vernice Armour. I uh, loved her uh, her passion, her challenge, her her story. Her fire. Uh, you know, what, yeah, her fire. That's right. That pilot light is still burning. <laughs> right. Um, hey, folks, hopefully you found this last hour or so uh, really helpful and inspiring. And hopefully you're going to take action because that's what it's all about, no matter how small that first step. Uh, on behalf of our entire team here at Veteran Voices, we invite you to find us and subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. You can look up Veteran Voices there. Of course, big thanks to our friends at Vets to Industry. Uh, and learn more. if you're, Especially if you're a veteran getting through your transition or getting ready, vets2industry.org have lots and lots of resources. So check that out. Uh, get, cl uh, get clear with flygirl.com was, was the free resource that uh, Renice just shared with us. So check that out. And beyond it all, a Scott Luton and Kevin L. Jackson signing off for now. Wishing our listeners, hey, nothing but the best. Challenging you, though. Challenging you. Do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Better Voices. Thanks, everybody. Bye.